the market will rent for significantly more than what we underwrote to based on the product that we've been bringing to market. So it's a double-edged sword because if underwrite too conservatively, you'll never close on a deal. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how are you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Ben Risser. How are you doing, Ben? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Ben. He is a syndicator of commercial real estate and a business consultant. He began building a real estate business in 2010 and has syndicated $7 million in commercial real estate. He's currently managing nearly $10 million in projects. We'll get specifics on that. And he's based in Pennsylvania. How do you pronounce that town that you're in? Lidditz. 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 Lancaster County. Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So with that being said, Ben, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. My background is aerospace engineering. Couldn't be more different than commercial real estate. Went to school for it. Worked at uh, Boeing for quite a while. I left aerospace engineering about a year or so ago and went with my real estate business full-time that, as Joe mentioned earlier, started in around 2010 and focused in earnest on multifamily syndication maybe a little over a year ago. So that's my main focus right now is uh, multifamily syndications, as well as we do uh, underwriting for private equity folks or other syndicators on a consulting basis as well. And when you say we, who's we? I have a couple of gentlemen that I work with as independent contractors who kind of have the same background as I do, have the same educational background. And also one of the things I like is I'm a chartered financial analyst candidate. And so I managed to find a gentleman who also is pursuing that too. So we think alike and he makes an awesome underwriter. So I have about two underwriters helping me out with all the deals coming across my desk right now. You all sound like a bunch of smart cookies, first off. (laughs) Secondly, one thing that I've seen in my business is if it's better to, at least I'll speak for my business, it's better for me to have business partners who have complementary strengths, not necessarily the same background, same educational approach that I have. Otherwise, we're replicating things and I'm not able to bring in others who can complement me. You mentioned that you've got all the same stuff. So educate me on why that's a good thing. Absolutely. That's a great question. So I agree in terms of business partnerships, you definitely want to have somebody who is a complement. A lot of times it's polar opposite. So my partner on the North Carolina deal is Matt Faircloth, and we test out as polar opposites. So me and Matt are great partners because he's strong where I'm not, and I'm strong where he doesn't care to be strong. So the two individuals that I have working for me are working as underwriters. So my background being in engineering, 
I'm just addicted to analysis. I can't help but analyze things to the nth degree. And then my love for business and economics is a really good fit. Also, these guys are basically helping me scale up my capacity for acquisitions activity. And after I get more assets under management, I'll probably scale up to support asset management activity. So I'm really trying to set myself up to scale and not get overrun with working in the business and always give myself some bandwidth to work on the business. That makes sense. Thanks for elaborating on that. The $7 million syndication, is that one deal or is that multiple deals? That is one deal currently, and that would be the deal I'm doing in partnership with Matt Faircloth in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And then that's also the $10 million project, which we're in the beginning phases. We're in the beginning phases of the value add stage of the project. So we're working very closely with the construction management property manager to really change the branding of that product on the market and make it competitive and everything it can be in the sub-market it's in. Oh, wow. All right. Well, let's talk about that. And just so I'm super clear, the $7 million is also the $10 million. So help me understand this. The purchase price was $6.65 million. Uh-huh. And the project value, the all-in project cost is almost 10 Got it. All right. I'm with you. Cool. So what can you tell us about this project? Love to learn more and hear what you got going on. Sure. So this property consisted of two multifamily products that were adjacent to each other. And we purchased them both together and rebranded them as a single property, Douglas Square on Hope Mills in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is the home of Fort Bragg. It was a very underperforming asset, had very poor property management. So it basically checked all the boxes as far as what us value add syndicators look for. The management was under distress. The property was under distress and it was basically a uh, C minus property residing in a B market, just ripe for value adding. So far, I'm the guy that crunches the financial performance numbers and all that, and, and looks like we're on track to exceed our expectations. Wow. Outstanding. How long ago did you all buy these properties? I started underwriting this June of last year, and we closed on it in January 2018. So it was quite the marathon to get through closing, but we did finally close on it in January 2018 took us a little while to get going, and I can speak to that in the investing advice, the best investing mm-hmm. advice ever, based on the lessons learned. But now we're kind of in full swing on the value add. Yeah, I would love to hear them in a bit when we, when we talk about your best advice ever. As far as the two properties that you bought, you said they're adjacent from each other, and you rebranded as one. Why rebrand them as one versus keep them separate? Well, I think the products, they were originally built and owned by the same developer and somewhere along the chain and title they got separated gotten into different ownership and i think they came back together and so they were trying to operate it as a joint property and they had a nasty barbed wire and razor fence going right through the middle of the property but yet they still had this like concrete pad that connected the two properties and when you walk the property it just made sense to join the two properties and so we're ripping out all that nasty fencing, which is also a safety hazard. No insurance company wants to insure a property with razor wire. Right. But it, the properties are similar enough, and just the layout lends itself to market as a single asset. They're similar enough in terms of unit mix as well? And the appearance. Even the shingle color, the brick, the structure, like it all just seems like it was almost built as a single property. For some reason, it was parceled as two. When you looked at the exit, 
you know, knowing your next level aerospace engineering background and underwriting. When you look at the exit, I'm sure you model it based on two individual exits versus combining the portfolio. One argument for keeping them separate would be you can sell one off and keep the other versus if, if you consolidate, then you have one sell. It doesn't give you as much flexibility. How did you think about that from an underwriting standpoint? When we underwrote the property, we combined the financials and we just viewed it as a single asset. And really the upside in this particular value add is in actually adding the value. It's not from appreciation. So we did not model selling it off separately, although I can see what you're saying is it gives you a little bit more versatility to sell off half of it and keep it. But the deal structure, the equity structure, the financing, all of that was done. The two properties were viewed as one. When you mentioned the earlier underperforming and property under distress, management's under distress, can you elaborate on that just in case a best ever listener is not familiar with what that might mean? Sure. I think we had about 60,000, in delinquency, which is unpaid rent. There were a lot of people, they put a lot of warm bodies in units that pumped up the occupancy, but they really weren't paying rent. So there's all that kind of tricks going on. And there was verbal uncontracted agreements between the people in the office and the tenants. And there was just all kinds of shenanigans going on. (laughs) And there was some drug activity. And I think the police were instructed by the prior owners to kind of like just stay away. And um, so it really allowed the property just to degrade and the clientele in that property just got worse and worse. And so we rolled out the red carpet for the police department and they just had a headache for like a week or so. The police were instructed to stay away from the property. Yep. This is a place where we didn't really know this when we took ownership of it, but pizza shops didn't deliver there. People just didn't want to go in there. Do you remember the physical occupancy and the economic occupancy when you took over? Yes, it was better when we took over versus like a month or so later because those things got larger. So the occupancy, I believe, when we took over was right around 20% vacant. And then we had more on economic loss. I think it may have been like 30% economic loss. But like after we took ownership and did the whole new sheriff in town, a bunch of people just kind of excused themselves. And when you file evictions, they skip. And we went to 30, 40% economic loss. But that's okay because that's not the tenant base we're going for. We're looking to build a safe, clean, family-friendly workforce housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we're looking to bring to the market there. And I think the market's going to reward it. And thus far, the interest that we're getting on a renovated units and the rent surveys we're taking, it's all looking very good. That is great to hear, especially for those residents who are living there and just looking for exactly what you're providing and would like some safety. Yeah, there's the residents that are grumpy that things are changing because they don't like change. And then there's the residents that are grateful and happy that you're doing what you're doing. Yep, absolutely. As with all things in life, right? (laughs) Okay, let's talk a little bit about investor structure. How do you structure that with your investors? This particular deal was a 70-30 split where the limited partnership, the investors own 70% of the asset and the GP own 30% of the asset. We have a 6% PREF starting year two and an 8% PREF starting year three and thereafter. That was the general deal structure and we purchased the property with a bridge loan and all in all involved about a 3.2 million equity raise, which my partner Matt Faircloth accomplished within his own network and then 
I did all the underwriting and helped on the road to closing and also helped with asset management now. So we kind of had a GP split worksheet where each person kind of takes ownership of various roles and responsibilities in the GP and it, it kind of shakes out who owns how much of the GP. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of how we operate. And the investor structure, the 70-30 split makes sense. As far as the preferred return, 6% in year two, so year one, because there's so much heavy lifting, there's basically no returns or no preferred return either? Right. So for this particular deal, since it was such a heavy lift, we went out to our investors and basically said, hey, year one, if we can bring you a return, we will, but don't count on it because this is the situation of the property. It's truly a big value add. So there's not a lot of cash flow in year one because you're reorganizing things and kicking out the tenants who aren't paying and spending a lot of money on various things to improve the property. Got it. And then year three and thereafter, it's 8%. Is that correct? Correct. That's how we structured it, just to pick it up. And then we're looking to refi as soon as possible, but we underwrote the refi into year three, but we might be able to refi before that. I think you all will certainly be able to do a refi before that. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, I would say, and this is based on my lessons learned from this first syndication for me. Matt's done several syndications already, but I would say underrate conservatively, you'll thank yourself. So I have like a few different bullet points here. And then I said, validate the CapEx estimates as soon as possible. Have your CapEx team ready to roll on day one. Have your marketing strategy ready to go day one. And work with the best property management company you can find. It's super critical. Yes. Amen to all those things. Let's dig in. Underwrite conservatively. What do you mean by that specifically? If you get emotional or start to find yourself rationalizing the rental upside, you need to step back and pour a cold bucket of water on yourself because you're going to hate yourself if you underwrite to an upside that is too optimistic. And then expenses, you know, you know, we're, we underwrote to expenses that are greater than the expenses we're realizing right now. And it's a good thing because it's giving us some breathing room because our economic losses than we underwrote too. So mm-hmm. like when you're conservative on the income side, and the expense side, you don't know exactly how it's going to shake out once you're in the deal, but you'll be glad that you were conservative on both sides. As far as underwriting to an upside that is too optimistic, optimism is subjective so what specifically would be, with your underwriting, would be too optimistic versus just right? How can we quantify that? I would say there's the upside that you'll find in the OM. So kind of take that one with a grain of salt. And then what's really important during your due diligence process is go out and do your actual boots on the ground rent surveys with your competitors and do your online research, see what people are asking, and to the best of your ability, find out what things are actually running because what they're asking for isn't necessarily what they're all getting. And then whatever you get, subtract $30, $50 a month off of that. Wow. How come? That was just out of conservatism. We run a road pretty close to what we saw in the market. And thankfully, after we've taken ownership, we've realized that the market will rent for significantly more than what we underwrote to based on the product that we've been bringing to market. So it's a double-edged sword because if underwrite too conservatively, you'll never close on a deal. But there's this line that you have to draw and it comes from experience. Like the more experience you have, tighter or the, I should say, the less percent error you can kind of assume in your underwriting because you can be a little bit more sharp on it. 
we underwrote to slightly less than we estimated in the market to be. And it turns out it's working out all right. And it, we were able to close. I understand sometimes that eliminates a lot of deals. Can you give an example of the expenses where you're being conservative with the expenses, maybe one particular line item? When you get the financials from a broker, they all have things kind of bucketed and broken out differently. So, and they're not always clear. Like sometimes service contracts are included in RM, sometimes they're not, or sometimes some are and some aren't. So, to the best of your ability, you got to parse things out. And we actually underwrote with a lower RM per door expense during the renovation period. And then we ramped up our RM expense after the renovation period. And I think that's an addition to a $250 per door operating reserve we put in there. And a lot of lenders like to see that anyway. But I think service contracts, we ended up underwriting to a little bit more than we were actually to get under contract because after ownership, we have an amazing maintenance supervisor who is the best negotiator ever. And he's talked down a lot of our initial contract estimates. So we're actually doing better on service contracts than we underwrote to. As far as validating CapEx and CapEx capital expenditures, as far as getting the CapEx started day one, what can you tell us about those two things? We had some challenges getting our bids assembled on time and we have a great construction management company, but they had some HR issues that slowed us up ahead of closing and it kind of delayed our schedule on pulling together our budgets and getting like all of our bids on sign so that right after closing, we could get all of our contracts signed and get boots on the ground as soon as possible. So we just kind of ran late on getting all the contracts signed. It just didn't start as soon as we would have liked it to. And it's the same happened on the marketing end where I had every intention of pulling together the marketing strategy and having the signage, like a good concept where pretty much right after closing, I could almost set a signage company loose to start building and get them on the calendar to install. So the validation, after closing, we found there were nicks and knacks and this and that that added to our per unit cost on CapEx. And I'm just thinking, like, was there something I could have done ahead of closing where we could have understood, like, oh, yeah, actually, it's going to cost you 1500 more a unit than you're underwriting to. The earlier you can discover those things, the better. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Want to build wealth through real estate but tired of dealing with tenants, termites, and toilets? Check out the Note Investing Academy. They'll teach you how to invest in the mortgage instead of the property. With all the cash flow or appreciation you want, and investing as actively or passively as you'd like. Use the code FAIRLESS at NoteInvestingAcademy.com for $500 off enrollment. Best ever book you've read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Best ever deal you've done that we haven't talked about? That we haven't talked about. This was my first real estate transaction, so I can't tell you of another deal. <laughs> that I did. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about what's a mistake you've made on this transaction that you haven't mentioned yet? Mistake that I made on this transaction I haven't mentioned yet. Um, I would say 
I can't think of one I haven't mentioned yet because I think I aired my laundry pretty <laughs> Fair enough. What is the best ever way you like to give back? I am passionate about fighting human trafficking and anything I can do to support organizations that combat that. I'm all ears. Best ever way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? My email, b.r.i.s.s.e.r. at providencecapital.org. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being on the show and giving us a very detailed analysis and overview, maybe not overview, detailed walkthrough of your property that you're doing right now. The $6.65 million purchase overall, when all said and done, looking at around $10 million property. The two properties that you bought adjacent from each other, why you all chose to group them as one versus leave them as individuals. And then the four lessons learned and perhaps just maybe not learned, but just lessons that are reinforced through the process, because sounds like you are underwriting conservatively. So number one, underwrite conservatively Two, validate CapEx ASAP three, get to CapEx stuff started day one and get the marketing started day one. Those are the four things. And just talking through how you structure it with your investors and just the overall value I'd play. So really grateful you're on the show. Lots of good stuff, especially for apartment investors, but then also just for real estate investors to hear how a big project is done. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Joe. Want to build wealth through real estate, but tired of dealing with tenants, termites, and toilets? Check out the Note Investing Academy. They'll teach you how to invest in the mortgage instead of the property. With all the cash flow or appreciation you want and investing as actively or passively as you'd like. Use the code FAIRLESS at noteinvestingacademy.com for $500 off enrollment.